when you when you're in Portugal in the in the area that oh, I did did I mention did I you did you mention well at least you mentioned it less than Andy Hinchcliffe because Andy Hinchcliffe goes much more often uh, but when when you're there in the Faro area well you, you get as far away from the Faro okay. area outside as possible. of the Faro conurbation where the green replaces the yellowy brown are there kind of like little things that remind you of Chinch bearing in mind how much time he spends there are there Blue plaques. Are there pictures of him up uh, on gymnasium walls? Are there areas, perhaps medical areas, where he's needed some sort of attention? It's more like effigies, really. <laughs> sort of like a perpetual Guy Fawkes night in terms of Chinch's impression on the, the Alvor, Portimao, Cavuero area, which he more or less frequents when he's uh, away from us. Are you trying to tell me he's not very popular in the place where he spends almost all of his time? Well, effectively, the further away from Faro you get, the more the balance of nationality swings towards the Portuguese rather than the English tourists. So <laughs> Chinch is very much in the minority in his locale. So, yeah, I'd imagine they, they don't like him very much. He is just a pestilent British tourist. That is all he is, a stain on the character of these wonderful places that, yep. of course, you've also frequented, but albeit too briefly to, to leave any sort of yeah, impression. Yeah, but I, 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 don't just, I don't just wear vests to show <laughs> off my bulging biceps and tattoos. Is this, ah, I see. Is so this, I'm, I'm, I can fly under the radar a little bit more easily. Are you um, feeling a little sore about the body shaming of last week and perhaps really you, you are fighting back? Well, Chinch is effectively dead to me now. <laughs> after describing me as having the body of a darts player and suggesting that I, I don't have the athletic figure of a middle distance runner, which happens to be something I was particularly good at in my youth. <laughs> Not to suggest that I have the, the, skin, the skin as porous as a coffee machine filter, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I reckon a challenge to a, an 800-metre race between me and Chinch could settle the matter. Uh, well, the, the, the gauntlet is laid down, and I imagine one step over that gauntlet would see Andy Hinchcliffe double up and hold at least one knee, or if not, two Achilles. He'd go all out for the first 100 metres, <laughs> forget that there was another another 700 to go this is set piece many the podcast where four friends talk football over food joining me hugh ferris are stephen wyeth who is here and both rory smith and andy hinchcliffe who are in the ether and yet will also be here later and just in case you want to get your immediate fix of both the sublime and the ridiculous we are at the wyeth household and can therefore magically provide both a rory and george to offer us the kind of pithy views we usually can, can expect of Rory Smith and Andrew George Hinchcliffe. It is incredibly convoluted. So, introducing Rory. It is kind of odd now. I know lots of people will tell me he's a fraud or whatever, but he costs £75 million and he's an elite footballer, whether you think he's good enough for United or not. They w- can't want rid of him that much, or they shouldn't anyway. And Andrew George. The Community Shield is a major trophy. Well, I think both of those uh, both of those utterances uh, are completely suitable and apt, bearing in mind the thought processes of both are, yeah, the, are the, missing. The verdict uh, on Romelu Lukaku probably fair enough. Not, I don't think anyone's going to be convinced that the Community Shield is a major trophy. Not anytime soon, anyway. Uh, can you tell us, Stephen, what we are looking forward to for food? We are recording just prior to luncheon. We have had a what's this now? Uh, a Belgian white chocolate and honeycomb cookie just to keep us going, and also payment for the two boys for uh, committing their voices to tape. Uh, but we have luncheon to come. Well, basically, 
the the travel aspect of my summer holiday might be over. I might be back in Manchester, but the the holiday is by no means completed in terms of the school holidays. And much of my weekdays at present are geared around trying to keep my children both entertained and at times like these quiet. And in return for them giving us a little bit of peace right now, they have demanded beans on toast as their lunch option. Now, I am more than willing to provide that because it is incredibly easy and that is effectively the jurisdiction I apply to all cooking. And I thought, well, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. If you want some egg or a bit of cheese as well, Hugh, you are more than welcome, but it's not getting much more fancy than beans on toast. Slap the cordon bleu on top of that. Uh, I am... Let's be honest. I could have given it a fancy name. I'm not going to insult you by trying to dress it up as something that it isn't. If they had asked for something else, um, Chateaubriand, for example, would you have been right? Yes, because them's the rules of the summer holidays. Here I go. One of the great things about children, the hardest thing they ask for is effectively bangers and mash. You know, filled pasta, it doesn't get much more complicated than pasta and something else. Well, I'm, I'm glad that we're at least wetting our own appetites, if not those of anybody listening. Um, in lieu of the correspondence this week, it is time for a big announcement. We have no musical rights to play any timpani, fanfares or anything. So a big announcement has to stand for its own size and splendour. Yes, we can now answer to the clamour created at this time each year by at least a handful of people for the return of the SPM PLPL because we can confirm the return of the SPM PLPL. People of the world, the Set Piece Many Premier League Predictions League is once again up and running. New listeners to the podcast, this is the season-long competition that requires only one short session of cognitive labour and yet provides months of fun. We ask you to predict the final positions of the 20 Premier League teams and then slowly watch as Norwich bafflingly end up in fifth place and Arsenal are relegated. Yes, for those who were badly hurt and damaged by Fulham last season, (laughs) because they were certainly the one that blew an awful lot of challenges out of the water. And West Brom the season before. Yes, those teams are not involved, so (laughs) they can't damage your feelings anymore. Uh, Now, over the first couple of years of the SPM PLPL, the target was to try and finish with the fewest points possible, because if you were spot on, that would give you zero points. And if you were one away, one point, etc., etc. However... We are following the pervading mood of the game by arbitrarily changing a load of rules. More on that in a moment, by the way. Firstly, you are now gunning for as many points as possible, with 20 now awarded for a spot on prediction, and one for thinking that Manchester City will finish bottom when they actually win the league by 37 points, therefore being the highest possible 19 positions away from the correct final one. If you are level... The same tiebreakers remain. Contestants are separated by the number of spot-on predictions, followed by the most just one away, and so on. But this season, we have also enhanced your playing experience. Oh, yes. You didn't ask for it, but you are still (laughs) going to get it a bit like the new kickoff rule. Uh, Firstly, there are now bonus points awarded if you get the top four teams right and in the correct order, and the same for the bottom three. But the biggest development this season, the VAR, if you will, of the SPMPLPL, is the wild card. Now, the wild card could, might, probably 
won't be the difference between an SPMPLPL Europa League spot and being crowned champions. We are asking you to pick one team that you think you know something about that simply nobody else does. This is the team you're convinced will finish in a certain spot. And you reckon you're the only person who knows it. Because once everybody has submitted their predictions, the fewer the people who agree with you about that team, the more points you could win by getting it right. So you think Manchester United are going to get relegated. Stick them in 18th, select them as your wild card, and you could win big. You think Sheffield United are going to qualify for the Champions League. Predict a fourth place finish for them and pick them as your wild card. Then after our deadline has passed, you will know how much your wild card could be worth. But of course, only if you get it right. So lots of new things, but one element that we are still lagging behind on is the deadline. Ours is not before the Premier League season starts, like the transfer deadline. We have the 30th of August at 6pm as our deadline. So you'll have time to see just how much your final predictions are affected by a completely skew-if start to the season. 30th of August, 6pm, put it in your diaries. You can change your predictions as many times as you like before that deadline. So how do you enter? You head to tinyurl.com forward slash set piece menu and follow the instructions. tinyurl.com forward slash set piece menu. Follow the instructions on that page. It is the same place that we have had for the last couple of years. Put your teams in the positions you think they'll end up in May and then keep your fingers crossed for nine whole months. There is an analogy here that might work, but we're not going to delve into. The prize once again remains massive, but firmly under wraps. But you just have to see the life-changing haul received by our first two champions to realise it is one worth fighting for. And boy, fighting hard. Let the SPM PLPL Premier League final positions predicting begin. And you can now go back to simply just asking us, when is episode 100 or the live show going to be? And not continuously badgering me on Twitter to ask, when are we going to tell you about SPM PL PL for season 2019-20? Such are the changes that uh, have been made, and we will reiterate them over the coming weeks before that 30th of August deadline. It must be said we've been running some tests on the website, and so enthusiastic are... So many people, far too many people, by my reckoning, to get involved even before we announce the opening of the submissions that there are several people who have jumped the gun and they have already submitted their teams. You will have an opportunity to submit a new team should you like to or alternatively edit your submission until the 30th of August, changing uh, your potential wildcard should you understand the rules now that we have read them out. And thank you for your enthusiasm, but there's no need to be so eager. It's there until the end of August for you to tinker with to your heart's content. Don't forget, you can get in touch with the podcast at Set Piece Menu on Twitter. Please don't badger us about the SPM PLPL or maybe just send us an email, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Please don't badger us about SPM PLPL. It is open for business. Uh, head to Facebook as well. All the details will be on a number of platforms, but head to our Facebook page where we will write out all the rules of the SPM PLPL over the coming days. Um, incidentally, out of context, Reacher will return next week. We have a cracker uh, ready to go. But I've talked a lot already, so other people will now take over. It's time for this week's conversation, which will be contributed to by Chinch and Rory from the extraordinary means known as a recording. With a new Premier League season soon to be upon us, we now have a series of questions, queries, 
and frankly a few quibbles to consider. VAR is with us. Manchester City have ripped up previous points targets and there's the significant matter of goalkeepers now being allowed to pass a goal kick to a player inside the penalty area. Oh yes, it really is all going on. So here are our questions, queries and frankly a few quibbles to welcome in the new season. The rules ranting is coming, don't worry, it has been committed to tape by Mr Rory Smith. However, Stephen, what are we looking for outside of the rules? What are we looking for that poses a question or a query or for you is frankly a bit of a quibble? Well, I think it would be astonishing if the top three at the end of this coming season wasn't the same as the top three at the end of last season. I'm more than happy to be surprised. But what I would like to know is whether any of those teams, the likes of Arsenal, Chelsea and Manchester United, can make things a little bit more interesting in terms of breaking up that what seems to be established trio of teams who you would expect to be more or less nailed on for Champions League football. My question to you is, is it three or is it one? If we expect, and, and we've, spoken about on, we've spoken about it on this podcast before, if we expect Liverpool to not be able to match the 97 points, but we expect Manchester City to get there or thereabouts, is there even going to be a title race, let alone teams attempting to break into that top three? Well, I guess that comes into the same element of the discussion, because if... If Manchester City and indeed Liverpool aren't going to accrue a points tally in the mid-90s or above again, then Arsenal, Chelsea and Manchester United are going to have to be the teams to take points off them. That is how they are going to end up with fewer points. I don't think anybody's expecting teams outside of the top six to suddenly start beating the establishment on a regular basis. So it's whether we can once again see a competitive top six rather than a team miles out in front, another doing their damnedest to try and stay on their coattails, and then a third, Tottenham, who are at least able to separate themselves from the pack. There is an awful lot of onus on Arsenal, Chelsea and Manchester United to demonstrate that they are able, at least for a majority of the season, to try and stay with the pace. If the distribution of points of last season, there were, what, just under 200 in the top two, there are only a finite number of points that are available to the teams. Given that, surely there needs to be one of those three teams or all three of those three teams that you mentioned taking points off Manchester City and Liverpool. But how likely is that and how significantly will that change things? Because... There's part of me that thinks that this season is going to be part 1B to 1A of last season because not, not much has tangibly changed, really, has it, amongst either those three or indeed Liverpool and Manchester City? No, and potentially it's naive to think that that would be the case because the teams I've mentioned and have called upon to, to bear their teeth a little bit more could be forgiven for going into the new campaign thinking, right, we are playing for fourth. We are in a three-way race to ensure that we clinch that final Champions League place because we don't believe... And it's understandable to have the attitude that they they cannot get close to Manchester City and Liverpool. That would be an understandable attitude to have, even if you don't make that public knowledge, because that would not go down well with your supporter base, especially if you have a particularly large supporter base like Manchester United do, for example. But... You must have the ambition to keep Tottenham honest in third. Arsenal, from a point of local pride, have to have that. Manchester United have to aspire to finish in the top three, even if 
it looks as though that is going to be beyond them. But who knows what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to be capable of. And Chelsea under Frank Lampard, anything could happen. I'm confused about where the improvement will come from. Because if we are assuming that, that Manchester City got 98 points because Liverpool got 97 and they were essentially propelled to that total because of Liverpool's brilliance last season. And we're not expecting Liverpool to be able to match that. Then Manchester City will necessarily come back to the pack, even if they win it by 10, 15 points, they will not necessarily accrue that, that amount, 98 and 100 before it. But who, who are the improving teams to be able to take those points off them? This is the central thesis of, of my argument that not much will change. Wolves and Leicester could be major players in that, in terms of challenging for the top six. That if, if those teams... Leicester think, without Harry Maguire? Who, who'd have thought that Harry Maguire could be such a key component into how the Europa League places are decided <laughs> in the 2019-2020 season? Yeah, but those teams who have the potential to take advantage of any slip from an Arsenal-Chelsea-Manchester United, if it is to be one of those three teams... The presence of a Leicester or a Wolves, if they can repeat what they did in their first season back in the top flight, or even if Everton can get their act together under Marco Silva, they certainly have a, some talented players, whether they have the right balance of their squad to make a sustained challenge. Only time will tell. I hope that they do, because that would make things interesting. But there are one or two teams there poised to take advantage if one of the established top six aren't able to raise their game. They weren't quite at that level last season. You know, Wolves, for a long time, we thought, can they do it? They just weren't quite able to maintain the level. But Leicester have been astute in the business that they've done. And who's to say that they can't have another stellar season under Brendan, Rod under Brendan Rodgers, who showed enough in, in those few months at the end of last season to suggest that he can put together a competitive side. So... Those are the kind of teams that might keep the fourth, fifth and sixth place expected sides honest going into this season. I cannot remember what I said yesterday, let alone a year ago. Did we say the same thing 12 months ago? Did we say there might just be Everton or it might just be a team A, B or C who will do that and then they didn't? Well, we ended up with eggs on our faces from the again. point of view, again, <laughs> that we were talking last season and the season before about... A top seven. We moved on from a top six. We said, well, obviously Everton will finish seventh. And they've spectacularly failed to do so over the course of the last two seasons, despite all the expectations. And yet I've thrown them into the mix again as being one of those who could potentially challenge the top six. So either we're not learning our lesson or we're hoping that Everton have. But we simply don't know. That's the fascinating thing about it. We're pretty sure we know where the title is going to go. We're almost certain where second place is going to go. And we have a favourite for third, and that will probably be borne out by the SPM PL PL entries for this season. By the way, my top three are not the top three that you're suggesting. Oh, you're just being mischievous. Well, mischievous, but also, you know, kind of really clever. I'm the team soothsayer. You are trying to take advantage of your intimate knowledge of the new wild card system by hedging your bets that if you if you gamble big you might win even bigger. You might get that signed copy of Mister at the end of this season. <laughs> I don't want two signed copies of Mister. Goodness me, that would, that cost me ten pounds to start with. Just the signing, not the book. Um, but the no, my my wild card team is the team I've chosen for twentieth. Tell us who who have you gone for? I'm not going to tell you now. I'm going to I'm going to drip feed Newcastle United. Um, um, yes, that's right. Oh. <laughs> 
The reveal was less dramatic. <laughs> sorry, that was, that was just a, sorry. It just it just came to me in a flash, a moment of brilliance and maybe cognitive thought, uh, shared cognitive thought. I've forgotten what we were talking about before we started plugging the SPMPLPL again. Well, let's move on then to VAR. Now, Stephen, you are a qualified referee of international standing, or, or indeed Fleet Town under thirteens. Um, back in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, but you have been lucky enough, uh, in your role as a match of the day commentator, seen the new Premier League guidelines for the implementation and use of VAR. So before we open it up to our two guests who are currently not here but will be shortly, perhaps you could give us a little bit of a fact run-through of how it will be applied, whether it's any different to what we've seen on television in other competitions as well, and your thoughts about whether it's all just going to be great. Yeah, the, I think <laughs> the Premier League have been pretty proactive and I, I've said plenty of times on this podcast that I'm all in favour of VAR and once you've nailed your car- colours to that mask like lots of subjects you're not going to change your mind so no one's going to convince <laughs> Tribalism you Tribalism with VAR now, Absolutely <laughs> uh, I think the Premier League who have, have shared their approach to this with the broadcasters going into the new season so those of us who commentate on the games are as up to speed as possible with how it's going to be implemented so I won't insult people with you know a full VAR breakdown because they've seen it at the the Men's World Cup in 2018 they've seen it in the Women's World Cup earlier this summer but I think the Premier League who have stood by and watched other leagues take it on over the course of the last couple of seasons and experimented with it a little bit in cup competitions over the last couple of years have not only learnt the lessons from their own dabbling with it but also from what they've seen particularly in the Women's World Cup, where it was a little bit chaotic, let's be honest, in in France. So they are taking the the approach of minimum interference from VAR to try and bring maximum benefit, but whilst also being grown up enough to accept that they are not going to get things 100% right. VAR was never designed to be perfect, and maybe people have put too high a tariff on it, and the, the Premier League is saying right up front, look, we don't expect it to be 100% right. We just expect to get more decisions correct than we, we were before. The other thing that we will see in the Premier League compared to how we've seen it elsewhere is a high bar for VAR interference. So the kind of things that you might have seen poured over during the Women's World Cup or in other leagues that you might watch around the world, you might not see in the Premier League. I think they're going to really try incredibly hard to maintain the the pace and intensity that they so pride themselves on as a competition and, and not to let VAR disrupt that. And that will manifest itself in a lot fewer trips, I would suspect, to the touchline by the on-field referee to view things on the screen. There will be, and there will be the, tr- this, this is the other benefit of it, of it in a league system, perhaps, rather than in, in a major competition, because there will be the trust amongst the, the, re- amongst the referees and their colleagues in the, the VAR booth, which will be at, at Stockley Park near Heathrow in West London, that they know each other and they know each other's understanding of the game. And the, and the laws of the game. So if the on-field, the on-field referee, when he gets the call from, from the VAR that there might be something that needs a look, he will have the opportunity to explain to the VAR why he made the decision he did. And then they can have a conversation about whether what the VAR is saying is, is within his field of expectation for where he might have been ever so slightly wrong. And then he can decide whether or not he's just happy to take 
the video assistant referee's verdict of what, ha- what has happened and, and give the decision without the need to come across to the side of the pitch. So I think we'll see a lot more of a growing up conversation and a trust between those using the system as to, to how the decision will be reached with the minimum interruption. And the other thing that will be used, they will use real-time replays for to determine the intensity of a challenge, for example, in a red card situation. So there won't be this thing of, oh, the more you look at it, the worse it gets. They will make the de- decision on intensity on the real-time replay. They'll then use slow motion to determine you know, the point of contact and, and the severity and that kind of thing. And, and they will put those incidents on the big screen if that is appropriate. Information decisions will be be shared with graphics on the big screen or if at grounds like Old Trafford, for example, where they don't have uh, big screens, I'll use the scoreboard to transmit It's it's only Old Trafford and Anfield, two of the biggest grounds in the country that don't have big screens. It's strange that. But I think that's the other thing we'll see. We will see good communication with those inside the stadium. I've long argued that I don't quite buy into this thing. I was at the game and I didn't know what's going on. Well, if you don't know what's going on, you don't really have a grasp of the the laws, the rules of the game anyway, because it's normally pretty clear as to why a goal has been ruled out because the referee suddenly made the signal for offside or for handball or whatever. So I think the Premier League will work really hard to protect the tempo. And I think, as I said at the beginning, they have learned that they've learned their lessons from their own experiments with it. And they've certainly learned lessons from the mistakes that other people have made. I'd be intrigued to know when, if you were able to have a follow-up question to somebody who said, I wasn't aware of what was going on at the time. Uh, if you could say to them, uh, what were you doing at the time? Well, it just so happens that I was turned three quarters around to my right-hand side, shouting abuse at the away fans. <laughs> and so it may not be that, uh, that all fans are paying attention to the game at all times, which is completely understandable. However, at moments like that, there is a certain requirement, I imagine, to be able to be uh, at least as clear as possible whether fans are paying attention or not. And I hope this is the last time I have to say this, but I'm fairly certain it won't be. I hope not. Can we remember that VAR is continuously active? It is continuously reviewing, and decisions do not go to VAR the VAR notifies the referee if and when they think an on-field decision might need to be reviewed. So all this talk of, why didn't they send that to VAR? That is exactly the opposite way to how the system works. I'm so glad you've said that. And I would encourage you, Stephen, despite the fact that you are very much uh, against the idea of repeating yourself, uh, that you should repeat yourself a good amount of times. I would imagine almost weekly. We might have you having it as a sign-off. At every podcast, you say, the referee does not go to VAR. I think the the children are already arranging to have it chiseled into my (laughs) headstone. Uh, So it is at this point that we turn to those members of the team currently in both Greenland, surprisingly, and Portugal, not at all surprisingly. Before they left, they had a chance to contribute to this debate, and Rory had a chance to add fuel to his already fairly combustible fury about the rules. Stephen will return shortly, but for now it's over to Messrs Hinchcliffe-Smith, oh, and indeed Ferris. Well, thank you, Hugh and Steve. I do believe that everything that you have just said really was of tremendous value uh, to us all. Steve has departed because um, he has been body shamed enough by uh, Andy Hinchcliffe. Um, And uh, we will continue the conversation about VAR because, Chinch, you have spent time in the company of those learned members of the VAR community as a Sky Sports pundit. Um, What would you say is uh, your chief concern about VAR? It seems a strange thing to say, but the actual technicalities of it, have they got the technology completely and utterly nailed on? In theory, 
I'm a big fan of it and sitting there and, and showing how it all works and the communication process. And I, it, it is hopefully 98% going to give us a much fairer reflection of the game. But there are going to be, where, where the techno, this offside in particular, it, it's, you know, are we going to millimetres? How, how can we, can we be as precise as, as we really need to be? If we bring this in, it needs to be absolutely black or white, but there still seems to be lots of things that are happening that are still kind of a bit grey. And that is, that is definitely going to happen during the course of the season. And if it's at big points in the season, it, it could be a major, major, major problem. But they're, they're trying, their, and where they, are, they are, where they are at the moment is as probably as good as it can possibly be. But it, it needs to things probably need to happen or go wrong that they then can adapt it in in years to come. But I, I do think it's it's here for it's, it's here for to, to stay now, isn't it? And Rory, would you agree it's a widely a, a, a good thing? It's going to improve. Well, I'm the, the same as you, Chinch, in many ways. Are you? Yes. Let's hope you're not. Well, I'm looking at you both. I'm I'm struggling to, to yeah. have three. We're not. We're not from the waist down or from, uh, waist up. I hope not for your waist sake. Waist up. Yeah. The <laughs> anyway, that went a bit weird quite quickly. No, so I'm the same as you <laughs> in the sense it's your that, fault. But. In the sense that I think broadly it's a good thing. I'm broadly supportive of VAR. I think it makes sense to use it. I think the technology is pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's probably as good as they're going to get it. You might be able to, I mean, I just make, make it more, more precise or more kind of microscopic or whatever. But I think it's having, it, we, what we've seen so far in the kind of two years since it was first introduced uh, by UEFA across various leagues in Europe, I think it's two years since the, the Bundesliga and the, the Italians introduced it. Um, and in, the, in both World Cups, both the men's and the women's, there's a fu- it's fundamentally changing what football is. It's, it's fundamentally shifting kind of how the game is played. And... I'm not sure that that is a positive thing. I think I don't think the technology. I don't. I think the te- a lot of the conversation around it is wrong. I think we talk a lot about oh the technology needs to change or the referees need to do this or that blah blah blah. I think the rules need to change. The laws have to keep up with the method through which they're enforced. I have problems with handball and with offside, and I think that with VAR those problems will become more and more pronounced to the point at which, and I've written about this a lot and I've tweeted about it even more, so apologies for repeating myself to those of our, our listeners who have the misfortune of following me on, on three platforms. <laughs> I think that we are moving more and more away from, if you want to call it like the spirit of the law, in favour of the letter of it. And I think there'll come a point where lots of decisions are being given that are technically correct, but, but run against the kind of natural sense of justice, if you want to call it that, or what is right, or what should be a foul, or what should be an offside, or what should be a handball, that we all have as fans, as journalists, as players, as managers, as coaches. And I think that's really important. We will come on to the, to the changes that we do have in the laws uh, in just a moment. But the, the, the spirit of what Rory talks about is, is interesting. And will that, Rory and Chinch, be accelerated by the letter being applied? So, for example, you have a series of situations, be it with offside and, and handball, that will take place over the course of the season, which will be um, adjudicated following the letter of the law, yeah. which will be, you would suggest at least, which will be, in the majority, a bit silly. 
And if they are a bit silly, that will surely accelerate the change in the law because That's the technology won't be changing. Yeah. So is there not a benefit, even if we have a troubled period of six to nine months and they're, they're figuring it out? Yeah, but then you have to assess it and then say, do we then change the law so we but, do get more but, to the spirit, even though likely. technically we're looking to the letter of the law. Is that that could actually more, lead to law change. Is no. that not more likely? No. So you think that there will be this weird kind of position where everything is being adjudicated using the letter of the law, the spirit will be further and further away, and they won't seek to change it despite all the criticism I, that comes because of it. I think we have got ourselves into a position where you've kind of set up like a pedant's charter. And you, you saw, I saw it a lot during the Women's World Cup where clearly ridiculous things were happening, things that were stupid, P penalties being retaken because the keeper had come a couple of inches off the line or referees enforcing handball rules that clearly... That the new handball rule. The rule. new handball rules. So the referees were getting it right. And people were saying, well, that is a right decision, so that's just a handball. And you think, well, all right, so that is, that, that is a handball according to the rules. But come on, it's not, that shouldn't be a handball. Yeah. It's this, this inability that people have to say... That, 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 that shouldn't be right. The rules are wrong. And you get them on Twitter all the time. These people say, well, actually, it's in the laws. It's not rules. It's laws. And it's in the laws. I don't care if it's in the laws. They weren't handed down by God. They're not the Ten Commandments. There's some rules that some Victorian fellows drew up 130 years ago. We're allowed to change them. And it, make, it makes me really angry. Because you've got this... We, we are now in this position where we have a set of rules that are outdated for the technology that will be used to enforce them. And a public that don't like the way they're enforced, but think it's it's sort of heresy to to countenance the idea that these rules might be wrong, and also they're called the laws, not the rules, and it's ridiculous. So I, I don't know whether, what's wh going to change first. They're not going to change nothing. The technology nothing will back. change. The technology will stay. But that, but that, but that's new, and the, that's the fine. laws will stay as most of the laws will stay as they are, apart from the ridiculous laws that they've changed already for no apparent reason, but like, so, but like the gold thing. Them. But what will happen is. We will all get used to these things being a handball, or this thing being offside, or this being. To be in 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 fairness to offside, the technology doesn't change the interpretation of offside. The problem with offside is how we interpret what offside should be. What we think of as offside is not offside. It's so not that, that's the one law that I, I, I think you mentioned used. before that if one part of your body you is onside, you, you should be allowed to. Because yep. you've mentioned this, so that is actually so could. With, with instances of VAR saying, well, this is it's a millimetre offset. But it's, well, actually, if we change the law, would that be a better way rather than sticking to the letter of the law and, and VAR? Well, could we adapt the law and change I, the law? I think that would be a better solution. Lots of people have said to me when I've raised this that you'd still have the same sort of millimetre millimeter decision. And you probably would. It might be that you have a fingertip onside and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. therefore you're onside and that, that feels, feels wrong. That is a perfectly legitimate point of view. To me, that feels more naturally correct because in that situation, you can say the striker is, if the entire body is offside, you can say the striker is getting, is getting an obvious advantage. I just don't believe, even at the speed players travel, that because your kneecap is offside, you are getting a major advantage that you wouldn't get if your kneecap was half a centimetre the other way. It just, it, you're just not. Cricket employs the, uh, the umpire's call, which has had its own controversies, but uh, essentially the idea is, is that if a percentage of the ball hits the stumps, yeah. that is out, mm -hmm. depending on whether, the, or not out, depending on whether the umpire has given it or not, so it stays with the on-field umpire. It's almost like you want a 50% a of a player yeah. is offside, then, you know, and you can, if you've got, if you've got enough uh, technology to be able to decide a millimetre, sure you've got enough to be able to decide a percentage of a body mass. You might as well just say if it's more than 50%. Yeah. And if it's called onside, if it's in the, the grey area, if it's called onside, it stays onside. If it's called offside, it stays offside. I think, I think if, you, if you had 
a rule that said that you, your entire body had to be offside for you to be offside. I think the grey area shrinks. To me, that feels like like a much easier thing to police. And it's not perfect. I'm not saying you, you could... It's such a complicated rule and it's such an instantaneous thing that it's never going to be perfect. But that feels more naturally correct and like and more easily kind of imposed and authorised or whatever but, than the current state. But I don't think the rule... I don't think any of the rules will change because I think among the kind of punditocracy and the commentariat and the... The kind of the executives, the blazers who run football. I think there is this weird belief that the rules have to be protected, and that actually, what's best is that if you are technically correct, that's all that matters. And I just I disagree with that. I think we're going to see loads of handballs this season, mm. where the ball is kicked at players' hands, and, so it's, let, the, and yeah, it yeah. it will feel to all fans unjust. But then they will be told, well, these are the rules. And within two or three years, they'll be used to it. But it will fundamentally change the game and make it worse. The other briefing that Chinch has had is about the new rules. Mm. So, Chinch... Um, these are rules that, by the way, that are allowed to be changed for some reason. Yes. Despite the fact that no one is laws, pressing... Laws, Rory. No one is laws. pressing for them to be changed. I don't understand why... So the goal kick one is ridiculous. Let's, let's go through two or three of the most significant changes. First of all, the handball one that has been in place... Since the first of June, I think it was it was brought in. What's the difference? There's one crucial little difference. There's isn't there? the, but if you read it, there's there's so many different elements to it. It's not just if this happens. It's because they're now giving handballs for unintentional. Yes. So they're which again, the once intent, you, if you take intent out of it, as Rory's saying, the ball can be kicked against your hand, and handball can be given. So again, it's just and again, if, if it's raised above the shoulder, if you're making is the the silhouette. No. Oh. I, I just making your just body bigger. Making your body bigger. There's just some. It's just, I, I do think it's ludicrous. And I, I referees, I, I don't know how the hell they're going to probably, whether they're going to give penalties or not, or just going to wait for VAR to yeah, give to them do, some to, kind of... But or, eventually yeah. they are going to throw it back to the on-field referee. So ultimately he'll have to decide one way or the other. But that, I don't know where the handball law is... Go- I don't know what was wrong with it in the first place. I've, well, got, I, I've forgotten... Plenty, plenty wrong, but I've it's forgo- changed so many times. But this times. has got to be... I, I don't I've think this is any clearer. What, what it was. Mm. Same with offside. Because they changed the interpretations of it all the time and every time there's a new interpretation people will defend it and say well this this is actually much better and you think well no it's it's not you just as they've changed it doesn't mean you have to assume that it's better the 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 thing with intent infuriates me because whenever again whenever whenever a, a commentator co-coms chinch says you know it was unintentional you'll get all these smart asses on twitter saying oh well uh, <laughs> look at him he thinks that it matters about intent that's great well done it doesn't say that in the rules well done in the laws should it not matter about intent? I think it should matter about intent. I think if you're, you should kind of be punished if you're trying to handball it or if you're trying to foul someone. How I, you determine that is very difficult. This is though. well, yeah, but you can you you can sort of tell. Sort of tell. I quite like the, I quite liked the motion towards the ball thing with the hand. I thought that made sense. If you moved your hand towards the ball, then it was a handball. And if it was, that made sense to me. I don't understand why intent doesn't matter with fouls. If I'm honest, and this is going to make me sound like a complete dinosaur, don't really get why you can get booked for making a tackle where you don't touch the player. Don't get that. If you don't touch them, you don't touch them. That's why do you it need to get booked? An ugly lunge with the intent yeah, to yeah, break yeah. legs. You, might, you might have just the intent, but for you didn't, for, so. for a crime, you need mens rea and actus reus. That's how crime is defined. You need a intent and the actual act itself. Motive, means, and just, opportunity, or whatever it is. So just, if you've got mens rea and you've got actus reus, you're, you, that's a crime. I would suggest it's the same for a foul, that you need to both have the intent to do it, or certainly for a booking, maybe not for a foul, the intent to do it and have done it. So if you don't have one or the other, then it doesn't work. And I just, I think there's so much of these, convers- there's, there's this kind of right think thing that goes on where 
you're not allowed to challenge. It's considered sort of really old-fashioned to think that you need to actually kick someone for it to be a foul. I, I, if I'm honest, I kind of do. I kind of think if you if you see a tackle go in, two-footed lunge, with, and the player jumps out of the way, and you see the player get booked or occasionally sent off, and you, everyone knows, well, that's the right decision, even though it didn't, didn't make contact. There's part of me that thinks didn't make contact. What about if the player plays the ball and the man? And as a former player, I absolutely did that as well. To yeah. You know you're going to win the ball, but you know you're going to get through the player as well. Is that, because you see players standing up making the, the signal, I played the ball. That, to me, is no defence because it's still reckless and dangerous. Anything that's reckless. But playing the ball, is that, well, that's okay. That, that means it not, can't be, a, it doesn't constitute a, a, a safe it, challenge. It depends, because if, if you're thundering into a tackle mm. and you get the ball and you smash through the man, mm. then that's one thing. Yeah. If you and there were a couple of these in the summer, if you get the ball and then you, you follow through and your, your, your trailing leg catches the opposition player... And clearly, you, you didn't mean... Foul. There's no way on earth... That you, just, you, can, you can't do just that. Just two no physical way. objects on a pitch. It's, it's your front foot. It's the one that you challenge with is the one that's going to do the damage. A trailing... Again, it's, it's so difficult the, to... But all of these this are is, some of the laws that haven't changed. All, that, of, the, that all that of this is, is proof of, a, of the overall shift in football that's been coming for a long time, which is that it's become a technocratic exercise to try and please as many sort of dissenting voice, critical voices as possible. And I think the problem that we've got is that the more you do that, the more you lose sight of what the game actually is. I'm not saying it'll become bad, but it, the, it loses something. And the more that these, these laws are shifted to try and, I don't know, to try and minimise the criticism or try and get as many decisions 100% correct as possible or whatever, it, it doesn't add anything. And I, think, I, I do think it detra- they can detract from it. So I, I would say that the fact we're going to get a load of penalties this year for... Balls just hitting someone's hands. That, I don't like that. The well, fact that, that, that happened in the, the under-21 tournament. There's literally that happened. An attacker playing the ball off a, a penalty was given and the defenders didn't complain. They just seem to think, well, well he's given it. I can't. That's, that's not like players to have learned the rules, the new rules, no, but it's, the it's, new laws. No, but it wasn't actually handball under any circumstances, yet they still yeah. just said, fair enough. Um, the new goal kick rule very quickly, Chinch? Well, the, yeah, <laughs> the ball doesn't have to leave the penalty area. Is for, this to encourage progressive play? Apparently so. Apparently so. But how many teams are good enough and would want to actually pour pressure on themselves by knocking the ball two yards to a, a centre-half to then get closed down if the opposition... But it's, again, there's, there's only a few teams that would yeah, probably it, yeah. use this. So but again, also, what, what's it for? Is it a sledgehammer being... Applying a sledgehammer well, to an air? It's a ridiculous rule change for no reason. Doesn't, was anyone pressing for that? Was anyone thinking, oh, gold... The problem... It's the same with when they changed the kickoffs, which was last year or the year before. Mm. Had anyone ever said... Do you know what the worst thing about football is? Having to have two men at kickoff, or you having to kick it forward, or having to kick it forward at kickoff, it's just part of the game. Just leave it alone for crying out loud. It's the same with the goal. The sacrosanct. There was n- sacrosanct. There was nothing wrong <laughs> with goal kicks. There were not goal kicks were not a problem. But now from kickoffs, you have the choice of whether you which direction you play yeah. or whether you ha- take the kickoff. Whereas before, it was just which direction you play. Why have they Why have they brought that in? Why have they changed that? Because you want to unsettle the home team. No, but who's um, again? Who's coming up and saying this is wrong? We need to change the the goal kick law. We need to change the the kickoff, kickoff law. law. Who? Well, I've never heard anybody complain about these things. So why are they soft options though? Is that they can change them and no so. one's really going to yeah. say anything? I think there is an element of people wanting to make an impact and saying, look what we're doing. We've changed this, this, and this to make the game flow more. I don't think it will. Any of these things have a huge amount of impact on the flow of the game, the goal kicks and the kickoffs. Mm. But it, it's people who want to be seen to be doing something. Are you happy with the rules? Would you like to say, say any, as in the discussion about the rules that we just had, is there anything else you want to add or shall we throw it back to Hugh and Stephen? I think we throw it back, big time. We throw it back to mm. Hugh and Stephen. Oh, well, it's ever so kind. It only occurs to me, uh, listening back to that section, Stephen, that um, uh, whilst we were talking about the laws of the game, that the spectre of the day-to-day sketch, can you remember, involving Chris Morris asking members of the public, 
What is the letter of the law? What is the letter of the law? The letter of the law. Which letter is it? That hangs very much over it, and uh, for some reason I didn't mention it at the time. But listening back, I've just got Chris Morris uh, in my head. What, what did you do to get Rory all riled up like that? Um, I, don't, I, didn't, I did not have even that intention, and I re- realised that he's particularly prickly about it, but because we've mentioned it before, I thought he might have been becalmed about the whole issue, but no, it has been resurrected. You weren't putting the, the, the capsules with intensity 11 or 12 into the Nespresso machine, were you? <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen such contraband. Well, um, But yes, it, it, but it, is, it is true to say that any, any opportunity Rory has, whether it's through the prism of VAR or any sort of rule changes that have been enshrined over the last couple of months, to have a good old go about both offside and indeed handball. Well, having also spent time poring over the, the laws of the game over the course of the summer in preparation for... You had some so of much fun oh, on holiday. <laughs> I did read a Jack Reacher as well. Oh, I, good. There, there, was a, there was a decent... Did you highlight some good decent, sections for he, Chinch? He, he does know what the letter of the law is, by the way. <laughs> and the letters of the law are J and R. <laughs> The, uh, we protect, obviously, the team we hold dearest to our heart uh, very, very carefully so as not to portray any bias during the course of this um, this podcast. But Rory's annoyance by the new goal kick rule seems to suggest that he must follow a team that likes to play out from the back. Because this, look, I think IFAB, the, the lawmakers, deserve a little bit of credit for a bit of proactivity in terms of the rules. Because they've seen the way the game is going, more and more teams playing out from the back. But if they make a mistake... They are able to nullify that by quickly passing the ball back to the goalkeeper before it leaves the penalty area. And this new rule is going to stop that. It's going to make sure that those teams that like to start an attack with their goalkeeper aren't able to get away with a misjudged pass simply by encroaching and the kickoff having to be taken again. I'm, I'm all in favour. I think it's a good idea. And it might just cause a little bit of confusion early on, which uh, I'm all in favour of. Yeah, confusion uh, has already happened. If you're watching the Community Shield, there was an incident of another rule that's uh, come in that, that, that Steve is going to explain a little bit more of, or at least vaguely, because let's be honest, we've done enough on rules now. But uh, the ball, I think it was Martin Atkinson, the ball hit the referee and the play stopped and the referee... Uh, adjudicated that there should be a drop ball during Manchester City against Liverpool at Wembley this last weekend. And um, everybody, including the commentary team, were a little bit confused. Then uh, it was explained uh, with the caveat that it simply appears that none of the players who are on the field currently know what's going on. No, and I, I feel pity the leagues that, that play through the summer who suddenly had to take on these uh, rule changes mid-season. Because I saw it in a game, I was commentating on a, a game in Sweden uh, in July and I saw it there yeah if the ball hits the referee and possession is turned over that will now be a drop ball we haven't seen that before the referee well he still is he's he's considered part of the game and therefore you know is not an obstruction if you if you like but they have decided that if if the ball hits the referee and leads to a sudden breakaway attack for example or possession is turned over then it's now a drop ball do you have any other rules that you would like to bring to our attention? Or have we done enough? No, no, I, well, just, just <laughs> to pick up on the offside thing, I do disagree with Rory on that as well. Yeah, I would love there to, to be a grey area, but we simply can't have that with what is a linear decision. We've gone too far now. This benefit of the doubt to the attacker, you know, daylight, all that stuff. The line has got to be somewhere to decide what is and isn't offside. And it might as well be the last line of defence, as we have seen. And the, the players will adapt to it quickly. Attackers will get back onside more carefully. And players will have to be more aware before they play that killer pass as to where their teammates are. So I, I don't have a mate. Yeah, I know it's pinnickety. And I know it's not in the spirit of the laws, but I think we're just going to have to deal with it. 
And the other one that the, the, the guys are talking about, handball. Like I've said it before, the simple thing with handball. They're making the handball rule more complicated. Just simply have it. Could the player who the ball struck have done anything to have prevented it hitting their arm? If the answer is no, then it is not handball. Well, it's a shame that, um, that Rory is currently in Greenland and you can't take that up with him personally because there would have been the kind of fisticuffs that Jack Reacher would have been proud yeah, of. Yeah, what's all that Latin he was spouting about intent and action in terms... He, was, he became all gruff Yorkshireman over... Oh, if he's, if, he's, if he's not chopped his leg off, then it's not a foul. If you have any questions, queries, or indeed, frankly, a few quibbles about the upcoming season, then do send them to us, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Now, Andy was able to not only offer his thoughts on our subject today, but he was also able to provide the one thing that he can of real, tangible value. Because it's time for Nevermind, Jack and Ori, What a Soccer Story. This is when Andy tells a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details. Details removed. Now, as everybody knows, I was catapulted, I would say, into the nation's footballing consciousness in the autumn, don't say anything, Hugh, in the autumn of 1996 on selection, the justified selection for the England national team. Consciousness and indeed hearts. Absolutely, because of my barnstorming performances for the Everton Football Club. And this, this really the is... Toffee a, men. The Toffee Men. The Toffee Men. Um, this is a story about, it really, it's a, it's a lesson for people out there about read beyond a headline. Because this is what I didn't do at that point in time. Now, Euro 96, so I, I was selected for England after the great success of, of Euro 96, England getting to the semis and all that type of stuff. But it was, it was the German team that ultimately won the competition, beating the Czech Republic. And Christian Zieger was the, was the um, energetic left back for the, for the winning German team. So when I got into the, the England setup, there was clearly comparisons between myself and Christian Zieger, which I didn't know anything about. But there was a, a headline, I think Joe Royal had done an interview, the Everton manager at the time, had done a, an interview about me and the type of player that I'd become and the work that they'd done with me and why I'd been selected for England. Now, the, the headline, which I read, um, said Hinchcliffe's Christian beliefs. Now, being a confirmed atheist, I, I just read this headline and I was, I just, I don't know why, why did I do this? I presumed that the story was about how me being a confirmed Christian <laughs> had got me to the, to the, the heights in, in football. Um, but I, again, I didn't read the article below, which was where I fell down because it was nothing to do. It was a very clever headline, though. You can see why I was duped by this. Have you not um, become familiar, or had you not become familiar at that point, about the uh, nature of newspaper headlines involving punnery and no, wordplay? No, not really, because I didn't tend to read a lot of the, the tabloids. I was a spreadsheet, not a spreadsheet, I was a broadsheet <laughs> type of guy. That shows how many papers I read. A broadsheet type of guy, or I didn't read the papers at all. And there were very few headlines. Why would people write headlines about me? But at this point in my career, because I was, I was the talk of the nation, mm -hmm. who is this good-looking, energetic guy who's going to change the face of left-backery? Um, <laughs> so this headline, Hitchcock Christian Police, and I just, I just sort of says Joe Royal, and I was thinking, he, why would he know I'm a, an atheist? Again, I just jumped to the conclusion that it wasn't to do with what I'd done on the training field. It was to do with the fact that I believed in the Lord Jesus that had basically got me my opportunities. When I then consequently, the day later, actually read the article, 
it was about how my game really was going down the road of modern fullbacks and Christian Ziegler was the, the guy that was doing it there and then and then the Germans and everything else. So I, I realised then that it was actually a complimentary piece that Joe Royal had done it. But how quickly, maybe that was something in my mindset that I jumped to the conclusion that they were using a religion I didn't believe in as justification for my success. We should probably point out, this mm. is before... Um, you had an opportunity to spend any time with Eileen Drury. I spent so very little time with Eileen Drury. confirmed atheist prior yes. to any, any faith healing efforts. I, would, I have always been an atheist. And at the very least, I'd expect Joe Roy would have known that about one of his players. Clearly, he must know the religious thoughts of his players. Isn't that, isn't, doesn't every coach, does Pep no. Guardiola not? No, nope. he doesn't. Right, anyway. So I, I just presume that he should do. Why on earth would he? But again read the headline yes it can be a very clever headline and it was i agree it was but read the story underneath because that'll probably give you more information the headline doesn't tell the whole story and it was a hard lesson i learned that day but i have never been duped again and to be fair i've never had another headline written about me (laughs) so there we go there is not often a moral to a soccer story but there is a moral to this soccer story and actually not jump to any any conclusions but actually the, the other part i haven't that is the only headline i've ever made the only headline I've ever made in 50 years, I got wrong. That's, that's it. That sums me up in a nutshell, doesn't it? My, what, my 15 minutes of fame or one headline, and I got it completely and utterly wrong. Typical. And there it is from Mr. Andy Hinchcliffe. I imagine that he is currently sunning himself um, on one of those. You know when you go to a, to a gym in a, in a hot country? Stephen, you'll know this because you haven't got the body no. of a darts player. Uh, you often have the cafe area outside on some sort of terraced or, right? or patio plinth, if you like. Oh, okay. I can just imagine him in some sort of white robe, as if he'd sauntered out of a spa, uh, just having a cup of coffee and reading the local quotidienne. Um, but uh, as it happens, he's probably just pumping some iron with Joao. Yeah, they, they never put the hockey outside, Hugh, so I've no idea. <laughs> oh, it's so sad. But yet according to Andy so very true if you have a soccer story please send them to setpiecemenu at gmail.com you can also get in touch via Twitter or Facebook of course and don't forget the SPM PLPL is open for business head to tinyurl.com forward slash setpiecemenu to enter your teams in the order you think they will finish in the Premier League and then sit back and watch the pot boil and don't forget to click to buy Billy a coffee very important Put some an awful lot of hard work into the SPM PLPL on ours and your behalf. Uh, we doubled the entries from the first season to the second season. We are expecting to do so again. And all of that uh, computer capacity doesn't come from nowhere. I did notice uh, one of the um, preemptive tweets that came our way did reference Best Man Billy by name. Uh, so hopefully his celebrity is growing enough for you to be able to fork out a couple of pounds uh, for the amount, the incredible amount of enjoyment you have over the 10 or 11 minutes that you spend on SPM PLPL each season and uh, you will be able to donate him a little coffee. And remember, the rules have changed. You're getting points this time instead of trying not to win them. You're getting bonuses for top four and bottom three and you have a wild card team to pick as well. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve and also to Rory and also to Rory and also to Andy, George and also to George and thank you to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. Is there a special way that you cook beans on toast or is this going to be just whack it, whack it in the in the saucepan and, and toast a piece of toast. I'm going to crack open those cans. I'm going to tip them into a saucepan. I'm going to put the heat 
on low so they cook through thoroughly and I'm going to fire up their, their toaster and put some bread in it. This, this is an extraordinary thing. Do you know what? At uh, Tesco, where I got the uh, no added sugar Heinz baked beans. Oh, yeah, thanks for that, by the way. Um, there was three for pound twenty or 50 or something like that. Uh, I should really pay more attention to how much money I'm spending at Tesco. Far too much. But uh, because it was three for this reduced price, I got a third can. But you only asked for two. Um, and I don't really need a big can of baked beans, apart from when I looked a little bit further down the aisle and I saw the barbecue baked beans. Have you ever partaken of the barbecued baked beans? If and if you, anybody has, let me know, because frankly, I'm very If excited. you really want to spoil yourself, though, you'll get the one with the miniature sausages in it. Are they like miniature frankfurters, though? Miniature frankfurter right, no, sausages I can't, in beans. I can't abide frankfurter sausages. If the kids have been good. That's their reward. I am, I am much happier to find my own sausage, thank you very much indeed, and insert that into my beans. I do not want a small frankfurter pre-existing for God knows how many weeks in baked beans. That all came over a bit of American pie for a moment.